0: our new series of messages that we have entitled, It's Personal. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at our relationship with God, how personal it is. Because when we understand and believe that God's outrageous love is set upon us, it changes everything. God doesn't want a handshake or a kiss on the cheek. He wants intimacy and closeness, and he wants each and every one of us to be seized by the power of a great affection. So, your relationship, my relationship with God is very personal. Last Lord's Day, we talked about our relationship with each other. This too, according to God's Word, is very personal. And I confessed last Sunday that I need you. And I believe that You need me and we need each other in the body of Christ. I need you to walk with me. And I need you to work beside me. I need you to watch out for me. I need you to weep with me. And I need you to witness with me. We need each other. We are better together. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the one and only hope of the world. We are the bride of Christ, the church of God triumphant. We need each other. And I take this word, too, very personally. Well, today we want to look at the next step in our growth in Christ. My walk with Jesus, it's personal. Now, some of you might say, well, how is that different from my relationship with Jesus? Well, one is knowing And experiencing God's enormous love, the love that has been set upon us, knowing that ferocious, wonderful love that God has given to us. That's one thing to know that love. But now that I've experienced the love of God in that way, what about it? How am I going to walk in that love? I'm loved powerfully. I've been more than noticed. I'm no longer unseen or unknown. I am part of this whirlwind of love and passion that we call the God of the universe. Now, how am I going to live? Every communion Sunday, um, after we've taken the bread and the cup, I quote to you that verse. As therefore you have received Christ, now live in him. And that's what this message about is, is about today as therefore you have received Christ, as you have experienced this love, this enormous love that has been put upon you, set upon you, it has been wrapped around you, as you have experienced this love of Christ, so now walk in His love. Walk in His light. I'd like us to look at this question this morning, my walk with Jesus, in two different ways. One is this. Because of God's furious love, how am I going to walk with him? Okay, that's an important question. And the second part is this. Because of my walk with him, how am I going to encourage others to walk with him as well? Let me say that just a little bit differently. Turn it a little bit. What am I going to do to take one step closer to Jesus? And what am I going to do to help someone else take one step closer to to Jesus, that's what I say this morning. When I say, that's what I mean when I say my walk with Jesus, it's personal. Um, let me give you a, a thirty-second history lesson. Um, in the 1850s, about 150 years ago or so, uh, there was a drought in Sweden, and all of the uh, all of the citizens of Sweden uh, were Lutherans by birth. But the Lutheran church at that time in the mid 19th century was failing, not failing monetarily or any other way in power. It was failing spiritually. And, and so there were people that started meeting in small groups in their homes. And these are called conventicles. And in these conventicles, people were starting to read the Bible, talk about their faith, pray, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that eventually grew into a new denomination, which was the Swedish Evangelical Covenant Church. now, those Swedes, because of the drought, uh, emigrated, many of them, 100,000 in about a 30 year period. Uh, Those Swedes emigrated to the United States and landed in New York and Boston and other places. And they immediately sought out Lutheran churches, of course. Uh, But they found that there, at least in that time frame, I'm not that's not an indictment on the church today. Many Lutheran churches today are amazing. But uh, on that day, uh, the Lutheran church was still very dead and stifled spiritually. And so these covenanters brought their faith with them and they started meeting in homes and that eventually morphed in 1885 to the Swedish Evangelical Covenant Church of America. And that is our ancestor. That is our denomination. That is who we are. Uh, We are now a covenant, evangelical covenant church, but originally we were the Evangelical Covenant Church of America, Swedish Evangelical Covenant Church. Now, these early covenanters were known for their piety. Now, with that, that's a, a, a kind of a weird word to describe their relationship with Jesus. It was very important to them. They were very pious. They, they loved Jesus and they loved living with Him and living for Him and walking with Him. And so if you would meet another covenanter in your village, or in many of them, uh, of, as you would expect, uh, uh, kind of moved towards the west, and many of them settled in Illinois, Minnesota, that shows you they're not too bright. And and so they moved to all these cold places, cold and rocky, just like Sweden. And and so they're all over the country. And when you would meet a covenanter in your town uh, that uh, loved Jesus, they would always ask you the same question. It would be this. How goes your walk with Jesus? Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Now, they would say it in Swedish, and I can't do that. But how goes your walk with Jesus? And that has been part of our tradition as a church. How goes your walk with Jesus? Now, I know that it's intensely personal. We know that, that the love of God has been set upon you. That, that that relationship with Christ is very personal. We know that. But it's also to be shared. How goes your walk with Jesus? So it's not just vertical. My relationship with God, that's good. But it's also horizontal. How am I encouraging you to walk with Jesus as well? That's what we're talking about when we say that our walk with Jesus is personal. It's both vertical and it's horizontal your walk with jesus it's personal now let's look at the the first part of this challenge i want to look at both parts our 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 relationship uh with god how we can take one step closer to him and our relationship with each other how we can encourage each other to take one step closer to jesus so the first challenge is this what am i going to do to take one step closer to jesus now, you've heard me say this dozens of times that one of the bylines of our church, along with no perfect people allowed, is this. What can we do to encourage you as individuals to take one step closer to Christ? Okay, that's what our church is about. We, we don't really care where you are when you come here uh, because we will accept you and love you for however you are when you come here. But we don't want you to stay where you are. We want you to take one step closer to Jesus. Some people come, they may be an atheist or an agnostic. And for them, what does it mean to take one step closer to Christ? It might mean to consider the possibility that maybe God exists. That's a very important step. Others of you may be nominal Christians. You grew up in a church, but you've been kind of floundering. Well, for you, what would it mean to take one step closer to Jesus, That's what we're asking you to consider today. What am I going to do today? Right now, uh, on, on, on January 16th, 2011, what am I going to do to take one step closer to Jesus? What steps can I take in 2011 that will uh, put me more in the center of the cyclone that we call the furious love of God? Let me suggest four possibilities. Now, some of you type A, some of you high achievers, are going to say, okay, I'm going to do all four, which is cool, but at the very least... Would you pick out one of these four that in 2011, you're going to say, and make a commitment to God today. I'm going to do this in order to take one step closer to Jesus. So here's the first thing you can consider. Make God's word a regular part of your life. Make God's word, the Bible, a regular part of your life. Psalm 119, 105 says, my word, your word is a lamp unto my feet, talking about God's word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to know how to walk, you need to know how to take those steps. You need to know the light. You need to know uh, kind of where your spiritual GPS is. You need to know the way. And that's what we're looking at today. Now, let's go back to our history. So these early covenanters uh, living in Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, many of them went over to the Central Valley of California. So these early covenanters... Uh, would see each other, and they would ask the question, uh, how goes your walk with Jesus? And that and then they would have a discussion about that. But there was something else they were known as. These people, most of them were farmers. And they were blacksmiths. And they were, they were, um, uh, cobblers. And they were people that worked with their hands. And because these people worked with their hands, m- for many of them, like, these were uneducated people on the whole, and uh, they worked with their hands, their hands were soiled and sometimes soiled permanently, you know, what it's like to work with soil. And, and, and so they would come home and they would, they would love their uh, Bible and they would read their Bible and, and as a result that their Bibles became soiled and they were known as the people of the dirty book. <laughs> I love that. I, I, want to be, I, I, I want to be known as that. And that doesn't mean I, I subscribe to Playboy. I want to be known as a person of the dirty book. I want to be known as one who loves and cherishes the Word of God so that the pages aren't still stuck together by the India glue. You know, you know, I want to be a person who loves the Word of God. Are you a person of the book? Because the Bible says of itself that it transforms you It corrects you, it teaches you, it guides you, it points the way. Now, uh, in the Gospels, there were two people walking. We don't know what their names were. Two people walking on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. Now, excuse me, after the crucifixion. Now, the crucifixion stirred among the 500 or so uh, believers at that point. Uh, It stirred greatly because for them, their hopes were dead. Jesus was dead. Their dreams were dead. They had nothing to look forward to. And so these two people were walking on the road sadly talking about the events of the crucifixion. They did not yet know that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And as they're walking along Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who still had flesh and blood, uh, started walking with them and talking. And he's like a stranger and, and they're chatting away and, and Jesus starts talking to them from what the Bible says. From Here's what the Word of God says. And they talk and And then they come to their house, and here's what we read in Luke 24. When he was at table with them, he took bread. This is referring to Jesus. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And opened the scriptures to us. Now this is a a beautiful picture of the power and impact of the word of God on a human soul. Their eyes were opened and their hearts were burning. Not heartburn, but their hearts were burning. They were with Jesus. They were with the Son of God. They were with the one who had power over death and the grave and hell. They were with Jesus Christ. Their eyes were opened and their hearts burned within them. If you want to walk with Jesus, the Bible is the road map. The Bible is the atlas. The Bible is your GPS. The Bible is the way. Often in our church, um, when I was in seminary, um, uh, Wesley Nelson, who has since gone to be with the Lord, he used to tell us about, um, he was responsible for teaching us about weddings and funerals and all of those kinds of things. And none of us knew what we were doing, so we were soaking up the information. And somebody said, what do you do at the funeral of someone who is not a Christian? And he said, that's a great question. He said, first of all. It's not your job to presume that others may be thinking that or believing that but it's not your job to presume that your job is to get up before the congregation say something nice about the person and then make a beeline to the cross. (laughs) That's always what you do. And he said, by the way, that's not just funerals. That's every time you preach. That's every time you teach. You get up, say something nice about the people or say a funny joke and make a beeline for the cross. Because it's at the cross that we find the power to transform. And the Bible is God's word in writing. The Bible is Jesus in written form. And everything in the Bible points to Jesus. You look at the Old Testament. Many of us read uh, the entire Bible last year, one year Bible. And in the Old Testament, everything about the sacrificial system and everything, everything was pointing to Jesus. Everything. You kill this lamb, you kill this heifer, you make this sacrifice, you shed this blood. Everything was pointed to Jesus. And since we're on this side of the cross, everything points back to Jesus. That's what the Bible does. The Bible points us to Him. That's what we do in our teaching and our preaching here, points to Him. That's why the Bible is so important to us. And that's one of the hills that we'll die on. The Bible is God's Word. And if you want to grow closer to Jesus, if you want to take one step closer to Jesus, let me challenge you. Make the Word of God a regular part of your life. The second thing we can do is this. Make prayer an intimate part of your day. Prayer is the simple and intimate conversation with God. If you know someone well, and all of us have friends and acquaintances and neighbors and family, but if you know someone well, I guarantee you, you know them well because you've had many conversations with them. You've had many opportunities to chat with them, to talk with them, to talk about what's in your heart and in your soul and to share those kinds of things. Well, that's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. This is talking about the early Christians after Pentecost. They devoted themselves, these Christians, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These early believers knew that their lifeblood was the word of God. That's the apostles teaching the word of God and prayer, breaking of bread and fellowship, committing to each other. We must make prayer an intimate part of our day because prayer is, is is like breathing. It's, the Bible talks about it in John 15. It talks about that, that um, uh, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And when you look at that image, you recognize that the vine is the root. That is what we are connected to as branches. And if we want to live, we have to be vitally connected to that vine, to that root. We have to receive our, our life source from that vine in order to stay alive. Prayer is that life source. And prayer isn't just telling God your, your grocery list. Prayer is sometimes just listening. Lord, speak to me. Help me understand some truth from your word. Prayer is breathing. It's inhale and exhale. It's speaking to God and letting Him speak to us. But prayer is also transforming. It changes your life. You say you heard the phrase prayer changes things? Uh, it's true, but the real truth is prayer changes you. If you want your, your your wife to change, start praying for her. She won't change maybe, but you will. <laughs> you want somebody else to change, start praying for them. Start loving them. They may not change, but you will, and your whole attitude towards them will change. Prayer is transforming. But prayer is also keeping it real. It, it's, not, it's, it's not some thing out in the outer space. It's not connecting with some ethereal creature out in the cosmos. Prayer is is real. It's the spirit of Christ that lives alive within you and connecting with that spirit of Christ every day in your life. The other, a couple weeks ago, um, a young woman was uh, struggling and we had a chance to talk together and, and at the end of our talk I asked her if she wanted to pray and asked Jesus to come into her life and to, to help her and she said I, I'd like to but I don't know how to pray. I said well just be real. She said, okay. And she prayed the most beautiful, significant, warm, connecting prayer I've ever heard. Oh, she didn't use the, she wasn't good with the language and all the flowery language, but Jesus, I need you. I can't live without you. My life is a mess. Please help me. These kinds of phrases are so real. We've all been watching with sadness what's happening to our brothers and sisters to the south of us. Politicians are interviewed. Uh, different heroes from the event are interviewed. Everyone talks about it. And one thing you'll notice from all the, the politicians and all of the other people that are involved in this is they always say one thing. They said, well, we, we'll keep them in our prayers. What happened to political correctness? (laughs) What happened to, you're not supposed to talk about prayer. Well, what happens is in a time of crisis, everybody knows instinctively, intuitively, there's a God and I need him and I need him right now. So if you want to take one step closer to Jesus, the first suggestion was to Daily, connect with God through His Word. The second is to allow prayer to be an intimate part of your day. The third thing is this. Make service a normal part of your life. We always talk about loving God and loving people. That's what the simplest commandments are reduced to. Loving God and loving people. God wants us to look like his son, Jesus. And if you want to look like Jesus, you better put on your work gloves <laughs> and you better put on your shoes because you're going to travel and you are going to work and you are going to serve. You're going to pick up a towel and a basin and wash the feet of Judas. And you're going to pick up the towel and the basin to wash the feet of other disciples that are questioning whether or not you really are who you are. And if you want to be like Jesus, you need to serve. You give a cup of cold water to someone. The Bible says in Matthew 24 that you're giving a cup of cold water to Jesus. You serve someone from the heart, you're serving Jesus from the heart. Last May, we did a Be the Church where instead of worshiping on Sunday, we sent all of our people out into the community to serve. Thirteen different homes and organizations, and we just were the church. And One of the women in our church was working over in downtown Chandler picking up trash and somebody said, well, how come you're doing this? And she said, well, because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. Therefore, I love you. <laughs> it's really simple math. Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. Therefore, I love you and I want to do something for you. You see, if, if, if you're a child of God, you want to love the things that Jesus loves. You want to give your heart to the things that Jesus gives his heart to. And almost predominantly, that's people. And yes, even enemies and people that are broken and people that are lonely and people that have different color skin and people that have different religious backgrounds and all kinds of people. Jesus loved those people. The only ones he didn't like were the ones who were too religious. Those are the ones he didn't like. Everybody else he loved with his whole heart. And how can we do anything Accept that. Love the things that Jesus loves. People that are broken, people that are straying sheep, people that don't experience mercy and justice and compassion. We want to give life to them. If you want to take a step closer to Jesus, serve. Micah 6.8 says, He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You want to grow in your love for Jesus? Walk where he walks in service to others. Remember, he served Judas. (laughs) Don't say, I'm going to only serve nice people. Well, nice people probably don't need your service, but everybody else does. One last suggestion to take one step closer to Jesus, and it's this. Practice the presence of Christ. Over 300 years ago, Brother Lawrence discovered what was to him the secret of victorious living. And here's what he said. The art of practicing the presence of God in one single act that does not end. I love that. Brother Lawrence said, one single act of love to Jesus that never ends. Practicing the presence of Christ. Live your life as if Jesus is at your elbow, because do you know what? He is. Live your life as if Jesus is your companion, because do you know what? He is. Live your life practicing the presence of Christ. We have a, a man in our church, a friend of mine, who said, you know, in this new year, uh, I, there are times when uh, in the job he works in, things get really heated and sometimes he gets angry and that's a natural reaction for some people. And he said, but you know what? That's, that's, not, that's not Christ-like. I, I don't want to do that. I want, I want all the time, even when I'm at work, even under stress, even in the most difficult circumstances, I want all the time to look like Jesus practice the presence of Christ. So this is how you take one step closer to Jesus. Make God's word a part of your life. Make prayer your breathing, your everyday breathing. Make service your first response and practice the presence of Christ of Jesus. Now, I, 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 I challenge you to do one of those or all of those, but I challenge you to take one step closer to Jesus. That's the first part of this challenge this morning. Now, that's, that's important. In fact, that's the most important thing. But once you've experienced that, once you've taken one step closer to Jesus, here's the second part. What am I going to do to help someone else take one step closer to Jesus? What am I going to do to help someone else take one step closer to Jesus? Let me tell you what I think is the best definition of evangelism. Here it is. Evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person One step closer to Christ. Now, doesn't that sound better than knocking on doors with the four spiritual laws? Oh, it does to me, because I'll tell you, I've done that. And that's not easy and that's not fun. And I'm not sure that it does much good. But I'll tell you what. I love this definition. Evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Christ. Now, I want to dissect that definition, just take it in parts. So evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Because evangelism is God's work. Your work is not evangelism. That's God's work. Your work is to be a witness. All of us... Our responsibility is to be a witness. Now, some of us have the gift of evangelism, but all of us can be a witness. God is the evangelist. He is already at work in the world. He is already behind the scenes. He is already doing more behind the scenes than you'll ever see on the front line. God is at work, and we are to cooperate with Him in working to bring people one step closer to Christ. Not coerce them, not cajole them, not compete with them, Not to hammer them over the head, not bullhorn guy, but one step closer to Jesus. We can't force it. We can only cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to combine, I want to show you a video. I want to combine my love for football and my love for evangelism. You say, well, how does that work together? Well, this clip you're going to see is from the evangelism linebacker. And when I was younger, this was kind of me. Uh, And and I want you to see this and recognize a couple of things. First of all, don't do this at home, okay? Okay. And um, and recognize also that sometimes we forget whose job it is to be the evangelist. Let's take a look.
1: Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked at the results amazed at this revolutionary idea is specially designed to boost student evangelism.
0: Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well let me put it to you like this. Yeah baby! Next time I'm you so hard you're going to go into flight! Next time going to think I didn't launch a satellite! You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. <laughs>
1: The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me
0: talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us, because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the
1: floor and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, God!
0: Don't you run for me! You can't escape my class!
1: D, Gray. throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Ah! Thank you, Mr. Good. I'll never do it again. Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got I just got some more important things I gotta do. Uh-huh. Hey man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I gotta go.
0: Selfishness! Girl needs a message for God to love the world. He wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up.
1: That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off the of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. <laughs> We're intrigued as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go, here's your double cappuccino latte mocha with a twist, not too hot, not too cold, perfect for you! Yeah, but anyway, man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know, like we were supposed to be sharing our faith in, like, coffee shop. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Shut out in the coffee shop, baby! You next? It's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program? Hey,
0: pride comes before the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament. You know this.
1: Thanks for the coffee,
0: Hey, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Your mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, if they're too prideful to share their faith. What I do is, I knock the pride out of them. <laughs>
1: What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this, when you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire, I can be everywhere, and just know that I'm always watching, ready to lay the boom on you, baby, booyah! Ouch,
0: are you ready for game day? Okay, now don't try this at home. Sometimes we think that it's up to us to make it happen. It's up to us to do the work, that we are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. The second phrase in that uh, definition is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others, not the work of one individual. Statistics say that before a person comes to Christ, they have had between seven and ten contacts with people that have shared their story of God's love. Between seven and ten content. We don't do this alone. Many times uh, we see in the scriptures that there are people that cooperate to bring someone to Jesus. The best example of that is the paralytic, right? And he had four friends that carried him on this mallet, on this pallet. And as they, uh, they, they tore a hole in the roof and they lowered this pallet down right in front of Jesus, they cooperate together to help someone come to know faith. The woman at the well, after she experienced the love of Jesus, the Bible says that she goes to the town and tells others about what Jesus did for her. The ten lepers, the one man comes back and says, thank you. And they tell others about Jesus. So we cooperate. Evangelism is cooperating with the Holy Spirit and others. Third phrase, to bring one person. Not arenas. Not stadiums. Not entire schools or workplaces. One person. I wonder if even now, God is putting in your mind, in your heart, a picture of one of those persons. Maybe more. Someone that you really know. Someone that you love. Someone that you would love to see come to Christ and have their life transformed by the power of Jesus. I wonder if you are seeing that person now. To bring one person. And the last phrase in that definition is one step closer to Christ. One step. One witness. One seed. One invitation. One prayer. One act of love. Sometimes we see or hear the word evangelism or helping someone else come to know Christ. And I just we freeze up instead of recognizing that the Spirit of God is already working. And there have other people have been working. And all you need to do is understand that you're responsible for one person, to tell one person how they can take one step to get closer to Jesus Christ. Evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Christ. I'd like to ask the ushers, if they would, to pass out these little cards. I know you're getting a lot of material today, but this is really important. This says, what's your one step? And when you get that, I'd like each one of you to have one of these. Uh, I'd like you to hold that for a moment, and I'll tell you what I'd like you to do with that. And while you're getting that, I'd like to tell you about uh, a kid I grew up with. His name was Steve Hunnamer. Uh, Steve and I grew up in the same community, a small uh, rural community in San Diego. And uh, we were cl- lived close to each other, and we did things together as kids. We played together. We even at, uh, when we got to high school, we played football Together, And I always invited Steve to Sunday school and church, and he said, no, I'm not interested. Or he, one time he came to a vacation Bible school, and he prayed to receive Christ, but it didn't seem like it really made any difference to him. And, but Steve, I always loved Steve, but he always kept Christ at an arm's distance. Well, as we got older and graduated from high school, I went to one college, he went to a different College, but every time I try and stay in touch with him, and he really got his life in a bad way, and and became very, very uh, uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol, it just it was just a real mess. But I always tried to love Steve. I always tried to tell him that Jesus was available. I always tried to tell him that don't forget God loves you. Well, then when Sherry and I came back from seminary to um, and took our first church in San Diego. Um, I was 29 years old. I was starting my first church, and one of the first calls I made when I got back to San Diego was to Steve Hunter. I said, Steve, you'll never believe it, but I'm a pastor now. And Steve was, um, by this time, he had three children of his own, and he was married. But he said, Dwayne, my life is a mess. My life is a mess. I said, well, why don't you come to church? I know you haven't been to church for a long, long time. Why don't you come to church? And Steve and his wife, Debbie, and their three children came to church. And within a couple of weeks... He saw that people in the church loved on him and cared about him. And Steve gave his heart to Christ and Debbie gave her heart to Christ. And their three precious children became followers of Jesus. And their, their, their life was, their whole family was transformed. And I don't feel like I had anything to do with it except I just continued to love Steve. Steve told me later that he had other people in his life along the way who also said, you know what you need? You need God in your life. And so there was other witnesses. There were other contacts. But God is calling us to plant a seed, to take a step, to encourage someone. Now, on the cards that you have, I'd like you to look over where it has three blanks and under prayer, care, and share. And here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. I don't want you to write it now unless you already have in mind that person or But I'd like you to think of three people that's in your life. Three people that, more than anything, you would love to see them come to know Christ. And I'd like you to write down those three names. Now, I'd like you to pray over this this week, so don't, unless you're absolutely sure, don't fill it out right now. But three people that you can pray for and that you will pray specifically that they will come to know Jesus. Three people that you'll pray for. And then those same three people, what are three things you can do to care for them? How can you care for each of these three people? Let me give you some suggestions. Invite them to a Bible study. Have them to your home for a meal. Take them out to lunch. Write a card or invite them to our Easter service at Tumbleweed uh, at the end of April. Invite them to the Ultimate Chocolate Affair in February. Invite them to a Connect Sunday. But some way that you show that you care for them and you write down those deeds to care. And then the last thing is words to share. And you write down words that you want to share with that individual. Maybe they could be as simple as, Jesus loves you. Or I'm praying for you. Or I know that our church can help you. Or share a specific scripture or a story of faith, how God has changed your life. But specific words that you would like to share for these three people. I would really love for you to take this seriously, folks. I would love for you to say, you know what, God, this is my way to help one person, take one step closer to Jesus. One step closer. One step closer to Jesus for you and for me. One step closer to Jesus for others who we love and care for. Spiritual growth never happens by accident. You don't just wake up one day and say, Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to God today. Or I'm a more fully devoted follower of Jesus today. You know, I, I feel pretty good. You know, it just doesn't happen by accident. In fact, Bill Hybels says this. We don't drift into God-honoring decisions or deep devotion. I love that. We don't drift into God-honoring decisions or deep devotion. There is intentionality. There is importunity. Because when we decide to take one step closer to Jesus, the heavens open up. And when we decide to help one other person take one step closer to Jesus, the Bible says if that person says yes to God, the heavens open up and the angels sing glory to God. Every time someone comes to Christ, the angels sing. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, this morning we are on this journey. It's really a journey of faith. This journey of faith includes really experiencing the enormous, outrageous love of God in our lives. And it really means that we're to to care for other people and to invite them into our lives. But Father, this idea of taking one step closer to Jesus and helping someone else take one step closer to Jesus, I think this is the very heartbeat of the faith. I believe this is the very heartbeat of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. So, Lord, this morning I would ask that for each and every one of us, you would help us to take this truth, this message from God's Word to heart, and that they would decide to take one step closer to you. And they would decide to take people that they know and love and help them to take one step closer to you as well. Lord, we honestly want to be a church that looks like Jesus. That's That's what we desire. We don't desire to be something known as great by men, but we desire to be a church that looks like Jesus. When somebody is broken or lonely or sad or hungry, they'll say, that church looks like Jesus. Lord, help us as individuals to take one step closer to you and to help others take one step closer to Jesus as well. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Folks of the time in ours.